hot for teacher. We thought we were done. We thought we were finished. We thought we would never talk about a movie minute by minute again. But we were wrong. Join us as we get to know the cast next door. Hello and welcome to the final episode of The Cast Next Door, where we still love your mother's cookies. I am your host for this, the very last episode, covering minute 91, although it's not really a full minute, it's only about 30 seconds, um, of the film The Boy Next Door. Uh, I am Darren. Last time you would have heard me on minute 48, I think, Uh, and of course you would have heard me on a number of bonus episodes. Uh, With me today are two returning long-time guests. First, he was on minutes 1 to 4 and 46, and then he was a host for minutes 61 to 64 and 69 to 72. And most recently, you would have heard him yesterday as a guest on minute 90, and that is Park Parkinson. Hello, Park. Hello. And also joining me from the other side of the planet, um, he was a guest for minutes 53 to 56... And then he was the host for the All-Australian bonus episode. Uh, and most recently you would have heard him as the host of Minute 85, and that is Jody Doyle. Hello, Jody. G'day from <laughs> Australia. This will be the episode where everyone can easily tell who's who. Because, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> because the, the Brit, the Aussie, and the Yank will all have very clearly different accents. <laughs> so let me just sum up what happens in these very brief... Um, you know, 30 to 40 seconds, depending on which copy you're watching. Um, first, we get a bunch of logos for the various companies uh, and organizations involved with this film. We get the Writers Guild West, we get SAG-AFTRA, we get AFL-CIO, we get the Teamsters, basically all the different um, unions that have worked on this. So after we get the, the Dolby Digital... Um, we get Technicolor, obviously, who provided, I don't know, I was going to say the film, but I'm going to guess this was done digitally. Yeah, this was not done. Um, I, I, I think they coloured in each frame, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, one at a time. They, 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 time. they employ, like, a group of little monkeys just to, to do each, each yeah, frame, the, the frame monkeys. by frame. Um, and then we get Sinelise, a Hertz company, and I'm guessing that was for the cars that were used. Because um, obviously we had, you know, t- two co- prominent car scenes. Uh, we get a little eagle with a G, which looks like a clamp. I have no idea what that is. So, if, en- yeah. if anyone... Eagle with a G. Yeah, if oh. anyone knows, uh, it's too late because this is the last episode. Um, and then we get alternative rentals, a digital cinema. So I can only assume they handled the digital prints. And then we get the filmed on location in Los Angeles... Um, which, you know, for a lot of films, Los Angeles is a very expensive place to film, so it's actually remarkable that this wasn't filmed in Georgia, because I am so used now to seeing the Georgia Peach pop up halfway through credits to let me know that this film was filmed in Georgia, uh, because I think that's the only way you get the tax rebate if you film there, is by prominently featuring the Georgia Peach. Oh, they've got, and not just, I mean, not just live stuff, but like Archer comes out of there. Like a oh, lot yeah. of... Um... A lot of because of the cheapness of filming there. 
a oh, lot yeah, of other like, film production goes on there too. Yeah, the, like the working the Walking Dead is all filmed there. Um, you know, I think even most of Fear the Walking Dead, which is set in Los Angeles, they filmed it in Georgia because it's just cheaper. Um, so, you know, for this to be in Los Angeles, and if you want to hear more about where exactly it was in Los Angeles, listen to Minute 88 that went up last week, because Patrick Hamilton, um, you know, a native of Los Angeles, or at least a resident there, he, he gave great detail about the different places where it was filmed, where the hardware store was located, you know, where the the, the two different car sequences took place, um, you know, he, he basically, he knew where those locations were. And again, he was also surprised that it was shot in Lo, in, in Los Angeles. Um, hmm. And then next we get a bunch of thanks to uh, Garen and Stephen Tolkien, the Simpson family. I, I'm assuming the cartoon. Uh, Golden Oak Ranch. Hang, hang on, hang on. Tolkien? Tol- uh, is, Tolkien. Are we talking J-R-R? It is T-O-L-K-I-N, so it's a different... Yeah. Oh, a different well, maybe, maybe when they arrived on Ellis Island... They, um, <laughs> a branch, yeah. another a, a offshoot of the, the, the Tolkien family. Yeah, uh, Golden Oak Ranch, which is where the barn is set. Birmingham High, which obviously is where the school is set. We get um, additional thanks to the following for their contributions. Uh, Tracy Cunningham, uh, which we'll get into in a little bit. Coco Puffs, uh, uh, the footage from the Grand Prix, which of course uh, everybody enjoyed uh, watching. Uh, we get the copyright notice, and then we get a line which um, I know came as a surprise to me because um, mm, I was expecting they really it to, buried the lead on this. Yeah, because I was expecting it just to say, you know, nothing in this motion picture resembles real life. It's all fake. Don't worry about it. The, the general instead you know, the we get of, the bullshittiest line in the movie. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, like, even a film like Transformers will have like nothing in this film bears like reality, as if someone's going to go, "Oh, wait, there! I remember when all these." giant machines came down and tried to take over the planet. Um, but in this case, we actually get the characters and incidents portrayed are inspired by actual events. Names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> and events have been modified for dramatization, which sounds like the thing that they've been put in the front of um, Fargo, uh, the TV series. Right, which, which is... Like the narration is that kind of comes at the beginning Almost of as far from true events as this is. Yeah, um, and then we get, you know, the usual ownership. We get don't copy it, um, you know, and then we, Oops. depending on the version that you've got, we finish with, you know, a frame that shows that it's rated R. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's the end. There we go. An hour and 30 minutes um, that in some cases people have enjoyed and in other cases people <laughs> feel they will never get back. Um, so you know let's kind of uh, let's let's go back to the beginning of this minute Um, you know I feel like we've kind of covered the the unions and stuff now something which I I don't think we've talked about and I just wanted to kind of touch upon um, was the (laughs) I didn't know this because I haven't paid any attention but the Rotten Tomatoes score for this film is 10% yeah sad 10% 10%. And the audience oh. the audience score is like 34%, which I feel is a little harsh. I think it seems very fair. I, yeah, I was so, keep in mind, that's, that's, that's the audience score of... Rotten Tomato users. People right, who, who so go to I, the trouble I, of rating I, it on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I, I think I think the uh, the audience score on, on Rotten Tomatoes tends to... Um, you say you say tomatoes. Uh, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes tends to um, align a little more closely with critics than... More 
sort of wider. Well, for instance, IMDb is generally higher on those movies where oh, yeah. critics hate the movie, but I the didn't Rotten Tomato user IMDb... is higher. IMDb Does usually it... is higher still. The IMDb for this, I, I'm assuming, is probably going to be. A, I'm going to guess it's going to be around five. It is. It is four point six. Oh, there we go. So a little, a little higher. A little higher. Yeah. Towards yeah. the center. So now here's the thing. I was going to ask you guys. I'm not going to call this a game, but I'm going to name the the five. Um, main actors um, and you know please don't cheat and I'm gonna I'm gonna see if you can guess what their highest and lowest rated films are on Rotten Tomatoes um, oh, dear god so now for one of these people The Boy Next Door is their lowest rated film oh so out of the top oh, out, really? out of the main five cast members it, it this it, so for one of them it's definitely gonna be this film but for others it's not going to be. So if we start with... Um, I don't know which way to... If... I'm going to have to go ahead right now and admit that I don't watch a lot of movies. It's okay, so don't worry. This is going to be hard. <laughs> well, let's put it like... I'll start, I'll, start from the, I'll start from the bottom and I'll go with um, Ian Nelson. Okay. I-Nel, as I believe he would be called in, in the J-Lo t- naming terms. Uh, now I'm going to tell you straight away, his worst film is called The Best of Me and it's rated 8%. But can you guess his highest rated film? Um... Now, I th- I think on recent episodes it's been mentioned a few times by Corin, but can can you guess um, what that film is? Uh, Park, uh, if you want to throw a guess. Well, I know he was in the he did a couple of Teen Wolf. We talked about. Um, uh, that's not a film, though, is it? So yeah, I do do do. No, I don't, don't know. know. What was his highest rated? Was it? It wasn't the Hunger Games. It is the Hunger Games. And can you? Ooh, games. He played. Oh, right. He was one of the snot-nosed kids the, from the higher districts. Yeah, that gets killed. Quickly. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. He, remember he that. gets killed in like the <laughs> opening, the opening fight. Like literally, yeah. as the kids are yeah. dropped down, he he's gone. Um, so, can you have a guess at what you think the percentage for the Hunger Games is? Oh, that's got to be that's got to be up there, like in the eighties. In the nineties. It's, it's, ra- it's rated fresh, so you say ninety-one, Jody. Yes, I'm saying. 91. I, I said I said eighty-five. You were very close, Park, because it's eighty-four. Ah, ooh, well that, done, was, that was that was a fairly solid adaptation. Yeah. Um, so hmm. now, if we move up the cast, let's go to his father, Jay Corbs. Um, oh, can you guess? Now, my big fat Greek wedding. What's the sorry? My big fat Greek wedding. That, I would think that would be as <laughs> highest. You're thinking highest. that's going to be his highest, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Well, I can tell you both, you I are, you are wrong. He's been in. You are both oh. wrong. Oh. Um, can you guess what his lowest rated film is? Was he in one of the Sex and the City movies? The Cast Next Door. <laughs> yeah, The Boy Next Door no, is the boy his... Next he door. is the one who has The Boy Next Door as the lowest rated of his films. Is it? Yeah. So was, he, was he not in one of the... I thought he was in Sex and the City too. I He might be, but his highest rated film is, is Dinner Rush. Um, which I do not know it. It's um, it's it. got uh, Danny Aiello in, and I saw it at the cinema. This is the weird thing, um, and it's it's rated fresh. Can you guess? You know, you, neither of you have heard of it, but can you kind of guess where you think mm. it would get in terms of the percentage? I'm I'm gonna. I don't, Darren. You saw it in the theater, so I'm guessing it was not shitty. So I'm gonna say like. Hang on, Darren sees everything. Oh, does he? <laughs> okay. Yes. In that case, I'm gonna I'm gonna say fifty-five. No, no, it's 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 fresh. 89. It's fresh, so it 80, has to be fresh. Okay, so sixty-five. 
Um, 89. It was 91%. Whoa, oh, okay. Yeah. I just happen to not have heard of it at all. It's it's worth seeing. It's from like 2002. Okay, it was just a long. It, okay, it was still it's, so long ago. You know, it's it's um it's kind of like about a New York um a New York restaurant, and it's like there's a lot of like action in the kitchen. I think Sandra Bernhardt's in it for some reason. Can you look? So I'm okay. I so. just I went to his IMDb, IMDb page just now to check. Yeah, he was in he was in Sex and the City too. What was the? <laughs> do you know what was the rotten? To, what was the tomato score for? I don't have that up, and I fear if I press the button to get rotten tomatoes up, I'm going to lose this call. I'm, so. I'm, I'm going to look it up. Sex and the City, because that was so reviled. Yeah, well, I I'm going to guess that that's probably about thirty percent or twenty percent. It's going to be low. Fifteen. Oh, see, fifteen. Fifteen percent. That's terrible. So, for the record, we are one apiece. Yeah. Okay, well let's because I guess eighty, I guessed eighty nine on that one. Let's 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 move to uh, K Chen. Um, now her her lowest rated film um, is rated lower than The Boy Next Door. Oh wow! Um, and it is seasonally appropriate. So can you guess uh, what her lowest rated film would be? Ah, oh, some it'll kind be a of Hallmark Christmas movie. Christmas it'll have movie. to be a Hallmark Christmas movie. Was she in like? Christmas with the Cranks or something? It's, or... it's something of that ilk. It's in, it's in that, you're in the right area. Let's put it like that. You're in the right area. No, I don't. I can't think of anything that I know of. It was Deck the Halls. Deck the Hall. Okay. That rings a bell, actually. Was she, I... she was married to Danny DeVito in that, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, the <laughs> Munchkin couple. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. That was and... a horror. My mother rented that at the video store, and it was a terrible, terrible movie. Well, do you want to guess how low it got? Uh, on the uh, tomato meter, four. You're going with four. Jim. Nine. It was six. No. <laughs> Too much. Too much. They're wrong. Four. And her highest rated film, um, I'm going to tell you straight off, is um, Tinkerbell um, from 2008. I think it's like um, like an animated. Did that do it's that? An animated. Well, really? Yeah. Um, so do you want to guess what that that what what that was rated? Again, this was, it was rated fresh. So. For children. Yeah. Uh, did she play Tinkerbell? 85. I, I have a feeling... 70. <laughs> Park, I'm going to tell you straight away, if it's rated fresh, it got over 80. So. Oh, it was <laughs> so, over 80. Okay, I thought fresh yeah. was 60 and over. Uh, right. No, I, I... Yeah, I think... I mean, yeah. 81. I, I don't think that did that. I don't... I barely recall that that existed. And what are you saying, Jody? You're saying... 85. It got 89. So I think Jody gets that one. Ooh. Okay. Two apiece. Um, yeah, I think she plays like a, she's a. Not that I'm keeping score or anything. Yeah, she, she's like um, she's a voice of like one of the other fairies. I think in that. Um, I think the voice of Tinkerbell was done by um, uh, what's her face from the rest of Development. May now Whitman. I've gone her IMDb page and I see they've made sequels. Yeah, they've made a few, and I think Mae Whitman is the Tinkerbell. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking her. Next up, then we, we're kind of we're on the top two. So uh, okay, right. Oh Ryan yeah, Go- the Goose, Ryan Gooseman. Um, the Goose. What do you think his lowest rated film is? And bearing in mind his his filmography is like ten films deep, so there's not really much. To yeah, choose I bet from. it's this. Uh, it's not because only John. Uh, he's got no. a film because uh, the, um, the Boy Next Door was was ten percent, and this film I will tell you straight off, um, it matches that. It is also ten percent, but it's, I hope it's it, not this. I hope it was Gem Gem and the Hologram. Oh, was he? That looks awful. He was in Ge- then Gem. Yeah, I would guess then Gem. 
No, it's a film no, called. There's some pretty. It's a film called Always. Um, and I have a feeling the Tomato Meter works by films that get more than a certain number of reviews, and I don't think Jem was reviewed by enough critics. To, oh. oh, that's so. That's sad. <laughs> to get a rating, I like that. So now, guess what? His highest rated one, and out of everybody in the cast, he's always the only one. Always Woodstock. I see it. Always Woodstock. <laughs> He's he's the highest rated one not to step ha- up not to have a a, fr- a fresh rating. Um, step up, so now, revolution. Well, you're in the right area. You're in the right area, Jody. But you're going to have to be, as they say on DLM, full title. You're going to have to pick the right step up because I think he's been step in... up all in, all in. You are right. Step up all in. Uh, <laughs> that is his highest rated film. Now. Um, what percentage do you think it got, Park, first? What percentage do you think it got? It wasn't rated fresh. So it wasn't fresh. So I'll no. say um, 70. Okay. Uh, I'll go 62. And you're both way up there because it was 43. Oh. So Ooh. he hasn't even got a film Boom. on Rotten Tomatoes that gets more than 50%. And that's his highest. <laughs> yeah, that's his highest. Oh. So I've... I've hit the lead. Yeah, though. this will all change after. Not that know, I'm He's got some more stuff coming out. He's got he's got a, a Richard Linklater movie coming out. Yeah, I think that's probably gonna. I mean, Richard Linklater hasn't like he's only got a couple of films that are like not fresh. So I think that's gonna be yeah. his first. That's gonna be the Goose's first fresh film. Well, his so, last movie to come out was 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 Boyhood, which everybody. Everybody yeah. except Red Letter Media loved. <laughs> yeah, ninety nine percent of what, or or was it a hundred percent that it got on Rotten Tomatoes? I think. At one point, it was hundred percent. Yeah, so we're on to the lead. We're on to J Lo, the woman oh, who this is, originated. This is going to be hard because well, she's in a lot of movies. I'm gonna. Uh, well, here's the thing. Uh, let's let's start out with what you think her lowest rated film is going to be, and I'm going to say this before you start guessing. It is the film that you think it is. <laughs> so okay, so this is her Jiggly. lowest rated film. What did you just say, Jody? I said Jiggly. Yep, that's it. That's oh, the lowest Jiggly. rated okay. film. Yeah. Now, what percentage do you think it got? Oh, Ooh, I'm gonna say four. I'm gonna say four again. Oh, you well, you said four, Jody. Did you also say four? I said four as well. Yeah, you're both wrong. It was it was six. <laughs> so six. It's uh, as again, good as I'm deck the halls. Six or four. Yeah, it's it's as good as deck <laughs> the halls. Now, her highest rated film, I think, will surprise you because I'm gonna tell you straight off, it's not out of sight. Um, which, without looking it up, I think on Rotten Tomatoes has only got like 90%. It's got to be Anaconda, right? <laughs> the Cell. <laughs> I wish it was. And it's, it's definitely not The Cell, because I know there's a few critics that hated that film. No, so, it was what... not. It was not liked. Uh, what about the one that she made about the singer? Selena? Selena. Yeah, wasn't that her? Yeah, that was her, but that film isn't her highest rated film on Rotten Tomatoes. Jodie, uh, what, what do you think her highest rated film is? Oh, God. Um, I'm going to take a guess at Ice Age 4 Continental Drift. You, do you know what? You're in the right area, but it wasn't... What, oh, it wasn't was it Ants? Because she was in Ants. It is Ants. Ants is it the is highest Ants. rated. Oh, of course. Now, out of everyone here, and this is going to give the number away <coughs> a little bit, she has the highest, highest rated film. So in terms, oh, of I bet it's like I bet it's like ninety-eight. Is that your guess? You're... Ninety-five. Uh, I, 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 yeah, ninety-eight. Sure. You're saying ninety-eight, and, and Jody, you're saying ninety-five, and Jody's yeah. the closest because it was ninety-six percent. That's it. it was, I really like ants. Yeah, it's a really um, good movie. pretty good movie. Anyway, so that's that's the Rotten Tomatoes kind of score 
I can't remember what the summation on the page of like you know like how each film that's on Rotten Tomatoes has like a a summation of what the critics think and like on the Rotten Tomatoes page I can't remember what it says but it's basically like nah. It's kind of like the, the summation that it gave. It was just like MEH, basically. Searching for fresh ratings is difficult. I, I even I went to um, to Armand White, figuring if anyone was going to be a contrarian on this, and like he might actually, like, you know, for, he I totally expected him to say something like, "Ah, oh, it's like a vaudeville classic performance from J Lo," <laughs> but um, like he did for Adam Sandler. But no. Uh, Armand's white Armand White's review um was was very critical. Uh it's something about how uh the boy next door uh he called it the battle of the butt cheeks. <laughs> um I guess and, that's right. You get to see Ryan Guzman's behind um Well I think he, he, he didn't so. like that. He said J Lo's the boy next door needs camp counseling. And like the problem was was that there was too much sex. I guess he's as he slips a finger into her thong. It's J Lo who grips his firm butt cheeks. No wonder J Lo ends up in a daze. As he's, he needed someone to be the molester and someone to be the molested. He couldn't deal with like the passion being equal. He said a more confident <laughs> film would have been titled "The Bad Boy Next Door" because you know Armand White is stupid. And, yeah, uh, hmm, what a charmer! He's really not a very good critic. I think the I think the critics were a little harsh to this film because I don't think this is a film that kind of critics, you know, really want to see uh, because they they're just not in its target demographic. So uh, I'm not going to do it now, but it'd be interesting to see what film female critics gave it compared to male critics. Um, hmm. but. I think most of the women in the podcast, I mean, the episodes I've been on and listened to. Uh, most of most of our our lady friends in uh, in the boy next door enjoyed it. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. as a yeah. as as a sampling, I think I think it got a higher rating from the the women involved in our podcast than the men involved in our podcast. And it was the enthusiasm of one of those women that was the prompt to pick this as the next film, right? Um, you know, because Natalie was so super enthusiastic about the film, <laughs> literally from the day it was from the from the minute that it was out, because she saw like a midnight showing or something, or she might have seen like a late Friday showing. But she was she saw it on opening day, and she was straight away super enthusiastic about it. So you know, thanks f- to her for kind of pointing us towards it, because uh, you know, I think I think like you say, you know, most of the women that we've had on the podcast, the thing that's concerned them most has been the tone of the sex scenes. But overall, you know, people have enjoyed uh, the performances. Except Kevin. Can we all agree that Kevin does? <laughs> now, do you know what? I'm going to say my my favourite Kevin moment in the film is um, when he seems to have forgotten his key. And he's like, he's trying to get in through the door and he's sh- like shaking the door handle. And Jennifer Lopez like has grabbed the knife. And he's, they hear this, you see the door shaking. And due to the way that our episodes were, that actually was a cliffhanger from one episode to another episode. Um, but mm. in the film, my favorite Kevin moment pa- was when pa- he's uh, now. But when I'm the right. door open, when the door opens, like he opens the door and then she he sees the knife in her hand and he's like, "Hey, mom, what's with the knife?" And it's just like it's like that's not the reaction you would have to someone standing there in the kitchen like getting a knife ready to stab you. But um, that that fits. 
Kevin. My favorite, my favorite yeah. Kevin mm. moment is when he is um, he's talking with with uh, with the goose, and uh, clearly he's going to turn Kevin against his father. And it, like in one moment, Kevin is like, "Oh, you know, it's my dad. I love my dad." And then after like. 30 seconds of t- you're right i do hate my father like it was such a quick turn he's so easily manipulated and stupid mm-hmm. and boring. I mean, hence my theory yeah. there is actually a puppeteer credited in the um puppets uh, in the credits <laughs> yeah. and my theory that kevin was actually the puppet well this goes back to the i'm sure will be cut discussion of of australian football rugby thingy <laughs> rules and practices where someone had his hand up Kevin's ass, you're saying. Oh, yeah, yeah. of course. Is, so <laughs> if, that, if that puppeteer is Australian, I totally buy it. So in these thanks, I mean, first of all, we get uh, Garen and Stephen Tolkien, uh, who are a couple that have worked on films in the past, including Untraceable. Now, I have a feeling, generally, if you're going to give thanks to people at the end and they're people in the business... Um, the kind of the feeling is it's because they've done some work on the film, but it wasn't in a capacity that would be recognised by like the Writers Guild or by SAG in any way. They and, gave some advice or hooked yeah, you up with a location or something. Yeah, they probably came in for like a punch up session to go through the script and kind of add stuff right. or take stuff out. You know, maybe because the writer wasn't on set, and you know, you you have to have a a, a guild member on set to be able to to write. And I don't think that um, Rob Cohen is a member of the WGA, so he couldn't do like a punch up himself. So I get the feeling that their thanks, particularly as they're the first ones credited, to me it would speak to the fact that they came in and did a little bit of writing. And now there have been a number of interviews with Barbara Curry, uh, the credited screenwriter uh, of the film, where she has said she did not (laughs) put in stuff about a first edition where some of the lines that come from, like, you know, in fact, I think even the uh, Mother's Cookies line, there's a lot of stuff that she says she didn't, like, the script that she handed in did not have those things in. Yeah, I don't think her tongue is as in cheek as the movie. Yeah, and I think that, yeah, because I think there's some, particularly some minutes that we, you know, people have covered, um, there, there has been, like, notice of the fact that some some have a completely different tone, and it feels like, this was the original version of the film where it was a bit more serious and then someone has come in and put in jokes or put in like references and it's not the original script. So if I was to guess... Well, thank God for the Tolkens is all I can say. Yeah, so if I was to guess, I think it was those those guys who came in and kind of did a little bit of that work and because, you know, they didn't want this to put it forward... This also explains the subplot with the ring. Yeah, and the dragon. Because in the original, I don't think they had that scene where she goes into his lair and his uncle and her play the riddle game. That was not in the original. And and I didn't think that um, J-Lo had hairy feet. I wouldn't have thought that would have been... um, But she does call herself Barrel Rider now. Yeah, for sure. Now, the next thank you is The Simpson Family. (laughs) Due to a TV series, that it was very hard for me to figure out who that they were referring to, so I can only assume those people know who they are. And then we have mm. two... That Mark, TV series Homer, would be Bart, Scrubs. Lisa, Abe. And now we have the, the two kind of, of like big locations um, that obviously they must have got permission to use, so they have to thank them here. Um, one is the backlot, which is the Disney backlot, the Golden Oak Ranch, which was used in 
Back to the Future 3 and um, mm. uh, there was another film that was reused in recently which has escaped my memory um, but yeah and you so said like, Mad Men too right yeah it's been used as Don Draper's kind of home when he was a, a kid um, in Mad Men and also I just, I just like the idea that Don Draper grew up in Doc Brown's old barn <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, so obviously Golden Oak Ranch is where the barn is located, but that's kind of like a back lot. That also explains why Vicky's house appears to be in a completely different place to where everything else takes place, because I think everything else was just like kind of um, scouted locations, where obviously uh, Golden Oak Ranch is built for the purposes of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah, hence, yeah, Vicky's character's nickname as the vice principal who lives in the woods. (laughs) And and it also explains why the engine block is hanging because it's a uh, engine out of a DeLorean. <laughs> yeah, of course. all all the way from uh, eighteen eighty five. Right. Uh, yeah. And the, the kind of the final the final credit before we we get like the a couple of the kind of um, product placement kind of credits and and other stuff like that is uh, Birmingham High, which obviously is the school uh, which has a gigantic boxing. Gym and is this at all a real high the... school or is this just for movies? No, no, it is a real. It is a real high school, but it has someone been... really goes to this high school. Yeah, it has been used in a lot of TV Those shows. Most, most recently, um, mm. Awkward has on MTV has used it for the last kind of like four years. Um, but it's featured in a lot of music videos. Mm. I mean, actually, it might. You... I mean, it is. It is a working school, but I'm guessing during the summer they like rent it out. Um, as a location. That's probably how they make the money to have that school. They, they yeah. began it with, we're going to have this as a high school slash filming location, which is how we're going to afford to put all of this shit in here. A single person gets an extra credit, uh, which is Tracy I have a theory Cunningham. about this. I have a theory. Yeah, okay. Well, Tracy Cunningham. Now, the only Tracy Cunningham that I could find, and bear in mind, she is linked to J-Lo in a way, so... Uh, yes, is a hairdresser, but her name is spelt different. It's spelt E Y, not just C Y. And she so she um spell. she was the best blowout artist of 1999. And amongst her claims was that you know she worked with a lot of actresses, including Jennifer Lopez. So I don't know if she was just brought on set for like a specific scene or. That my my theory is she was she was serving as J Lo's personal hairdresser. I know that there, she's not credited on IMDb. There is someone no. else that, like, other people were involved in hair and makeup who had credited the movie and they're credited on IMDb. Mm. But J-Lo made a big thing about how everyone, like, all of the money was really put on the screen and everyone, like, shared a trailer and, you know, they all ate the same you know, food together or, or, or yeah, you know, there I, wasn't I, kind of services. So, so my guess is actually J Lo paid for her own person once or twice. Yeah, which would to, make which which would make sense because if if some if J Lo was paying for it out of her personal pocket, they couldn't credit that on the on the film. Right, so but they could give her easy. a thank or you. May, yeah, or maybe she did it. Maybe she did it for Bono, and um, and they just for the thanks at the end. You know, pro, pro bono. So. Ah, I see. <laughs> I was in, like for bono. Was, who was? I was super confused. That from the movie somewhere thinking, was there like a scene yeah. where they were watching television? So, or like it's words that New sound Year's like Day other words. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, maybe she did do it for free just as a favor, just to get some like publicity. Then obviously the thank you at the end is kind of 
you know the the only kind of credit they bit, can give her. Bit salt, bit bit bad if they spelt her name wrong, though. Yeah, that is weird. That the only way I could find it spelt <laughs> was different. But do you know what? Um, there have been film credits where they've spelt people's names wrong on the end credits. It happens. Um, yeah. Even yeah. Um, there is um, at the end. If you watch um, Star Trek's uh, The Undiscovered Country, uh, they spell Uhura's name wrong. Oh, uh, Nichelle Nichols. That's very uh, sad. No, no, they spell Nichelle Nichols correct. They spell Uhura wrong. Oh, they spell wrong. Uhura wrong. Well, yeah. that's very stupid. It would be sad to funny. That that's a ca- that's a character that's at that point had been in the popular culture for like twenty years, and right. they couldn't get Longer. her name right on the end credits. Um, so <laughs> uh. yeah, so so it's been known to happen. So I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if someone was like Jayla, what's the name of that hairdresser? And she was like, oh, Tracy Cunningham. And they were like, can you spell and Cunningham? And she spelled Cunningham and they forgot to spell Tracy. <laughs> like, and she's, yeah. she's like, like Richie Cunningham that makes sense. off of Happy Days. Come on, people. And then we get, a, obviously, Cocoa Puffs appears. So we get a little thing, you know, a thank you to Cocoa Puffs. Uh, the, the footage of the Detroit Grand Prix, um, which is also owned by Universal. So I'm guessing they got the footage for like a, a cut rate. Because uh, as we've said, you know, the budget on this thing was tiny. Um and that is the only bit of te- that's the only actual bit of television that they watch in this entire film <laughs> is like 30 seconds yeah. of the Detroit Grand Prix. And then um we get to um <laughs> the kind of the weirdest the weirdest like the thing where the characters and incidents portrayed are inspired by actual events. Um right, hmm. which is a lie. Yeah, which, I mean, <laughs> it's such a weird thing that they've placed it at the very end. They never bothered to say based on a true story up front. Though I will admit, um, one of the good things about this film is it doesn't have a ton of opening credits. It literally just says The Boy Next Door on a single card credit, and then it moves on. I like, have... You know, there's no upfront director's credit or writer's credit or acting credits. It's, it's literally just... It goes straight to the film, so... You know... Uh, Searching for the the quote true story uh behind the boy next door i uh <laughs> i went to a cosmo article um a, a, an interview um medina papadopoulos uh interviewed uh barbara curry who who's the writer for the boy next door and asked what the inspiration was and she said it was originally it was that it was much tamer it started because there was this house. One day, I'm a runner, and I would run by this house. So, okay, that's that's true. J-Lo's a runner in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's also in the film. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, nope, she ran by this house and talked to her husband and said, we should put a bid in. This is my dream house. And then she found out later that a boy her son went to school with lived across the street from that house. This boy was kind of a bad boy. He was always getting into trouble, possibly been kicked out of school, you know, stuff like that. And I wondered if we lived in this house, that boys can live across the street from my son, and I bet they're going to become friends. And will this boy influence my son? So the first few drafts of the movie were about a 12-year-old boy and a mother's trying to get her son out from under this boy's influence. And then over successive drafts, and it was always called, uh, or it wasn't always the boy next door. It was called something else originally. But over successive drafts, it became this psychosexual uh, uh, thriller. And then hopefully the boy aged up. And then when she turned it into the studio, the boy was like 
15 or 16 or something like that. And then the studio, yeah. like, nah, 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 we're going to have an excuse to make him, like, 19 and it be totally legal. And then they aged out the rest of the way. There was a child who lived across the street <laughs> from a house she saw. That's the true story. And they, the boy next door they is do say they, they do say events have been modified. <laughs> and that, there's, there's air quotes on that modified yeah. for dramatization. Her, I, Jane Lowe's other, other big movie, Ants, is also based on a true story in that the writer <laughs> once saw some ants in Central Park. Yeah. yeah. True story. I mean, it's it's such a weird thing that they buried it this far deep into the like literally ten seconds from the end of the film, um, and they never none of the pre publicity kind of talked that aspect up. It's such a I guess Barbara Curry being a legal minded person and having previously been like a DA, I guess right. she thought that you know <laughs> they needed to put that in. It's. It's so she odd. did. She did say that there were there were some real stories of teachers molesting students. Uh, she mentioned in the interview. She mentioned the uh, Mary Kay Letourneau, which I think yeah. is the most famous of those. And yeah. and the student in question was about twelve when it began. Um, uh, uh, she I'm, was. If, if I'm remembering that case, did she not end up marrying? Like she went to prison and then she came out and she ended up getting together with the kid. Who was then? Yeah, at one like, point she was pregnant with his child. I think at one point. Yeah, uh, and 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 a lot of people have like done stuff with that story. There wasn't there was a Law and Order episode, an SVU episode. Uh, I mean, their excuse, it was it had a brain tumor. It was. I mean, I'm gonna say that twice over. Susan Sarandon has been part of that storyline because she did it on Thirty Rock um, with Judah right. Freelander, and, and also that in That's Adam My Boy. Yeah, that's yeah. my boy. Yeah, where her mm. daughter portrayed the younger version of herself. Um, mm. So yes, which is uh, which is Family really thing. odd because I saw that's my boy and I was like, this like I saw um, Eva Amuro, who's the daughter, and I thought she reminds me of someone. And then when she later turned into Susan Sarandon, I was like, that's weird. They've cast this really good because that girl reminds me of Susan Sarandon a lot. And then it was it's like, the yeah, of course, niche. it's it's her daughter. You know, like. Uh, it's the weirdest niche to carve out for yourself. Whenever they'll need a a lady who molested a child or, yeah. or a young man, <laughs> uh, they'll think of me, Susan Sarandon. Just Susan a weird. Sa- I'm assuming that, like, on Susan Sarandon's like headshots on the back, it says "Will work as MILF." Um, <laughs> yeah, because because she did it years before. She did it years and years and years before um, in the film White Palace with um, James Spader. Um, where technically I don't think mm-hmm. she was a MILF because sh- her child had died. Um, yeah. Well, wasn't uh, she in Bull Durham? She played, not a MILF exactly, but she was like the 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 woman who sort of muse for young baseball players. She saw them on the way up. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's this weird thing that she's obviously done more than once, and for now, like, almost three decades, where... She plays the older woman to like basically anyone. So I feel like she's she's almost mm. seventy now. She's working into into Jilf territory at this point. Well, I'm yeah. I mean, which I'm is fine. Gonna, That's I'm fine. Not by the way, it. That's not a she, you know, she said she's had children. Is the is the is the end is the takeaway of of any of her roles <laughs> where she gets sexually involved with a younger person. Uh, she's had children. Probably says more. 
probably says more to the roles available for older women in Hollywood than it does. Uh, yeah, for, that if you're choices. going to be a, um, if you're if you're an attractive woman of a certain age, seductress yeah. is kind of what's available, which is freaking <laughs> weird. Agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah. with Bull Durham in real life, she seduced um, uh, Tim Robbins. So you know, I forgot he was. Yeah, he was the young. He was like the young stud in that movie. Yeah, that was him. What a good and, movie. What a good and movie. He, and he went out with her for... Back when somebody that looked like Tim Robbins could be a stud. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it, it works out when he's young. It, it makes sense. He was, yeah, yeah. he was young and vital, and, uh, and he looked a little doofy still. He always kind of doofy. But it worked well yeah. for a young doofy. He was young and good friends with Jack Black. Um, and uh, well, and Kevin fact, Costner played the older... Guy, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you Which know, they look the same age to me. But so that's that's kind of the weird, uh, that weird thing that just at the end suddenly appears, just as the film's about to finish, and we get all the copyright warnings, and uh, yeah, boom. It, I think I think it's a mistake. I think they slapped on the the wrong rated R <laughs> thingy at the end. They had two options. Someone said, "Do we put the end with the based on a true story one or?" The totally not based on a true story one, and they, they weren't sure. They're like, "Well, I don't want to get sued. Maybe it is. I don't know." This it was written by a lady. He's written anything else? It could be. I would slap the true story one on, and that was it. And then, yeah, no, they got it out of the fortune cookie. It's like they got the fortune cookie. It's like, oh, based on a true story. According to the, oh, we're out of these based on a true story fortune cookies. According to the cookie I got with my main movie was based on a true story. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. I mean, that's basically the end of the film, uh, and you know, Woo! kind of the end of this podcast as well. We are, um, mm. you know, we are done with uh, the boy next door. Um, I mean, I saw it at the cinema and I enjoyed it. I've had to watch it a number of times over the last <laughs> since we since we began <laughs> this project, um, kind of last June. Uh, the first episode was actually recorded on the the tenth of July. So, you know, as we record this episode, that's kind of a, a little under six months uh, beginning to end. But I've had to watch this film kind of a number of times to do the screen caps for each episode. Um, and for my own episodes, uh, you know, when I did my 12 episodes in the middle, I, I, uh, I obviously watched those minutes a few times each to kind of uh, make notes and stuff. So <laughs> it, it's, it's probably the film that in the last 12 months I have seen the most. Uh, which is an odd thing to think about. Um, although, you know, the release date in America last year was like the 25th of January, I think. Um, it was, yeah, it was a, it was a fuck you, it's January movie. Yeah. So, you know, in less than a year, we've managed to go all the way through this film minute by minute. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to say that that's the quickest turnaround for any minute by minute podcast, especially given that the current minute by minute podcasts I know are for Goodfellas and, uh, episode one uh, and uh, Back to the Future. So those are all very old films. That's pretty fast, yeah. This is the this is the quickest kind of turnaround. Um, well, you can definitely give yourself a big pat on the back for this, uh, Darren. I'm very <laughs> impressed that you managed to pull all this together and get us all together to do yeah. it. Thank you very much. Um, so I want to thank you two for being uh, my guests. Well, cause we we were talking a little a little bit about this beforehand. If if you enjoy the Boy Next Door. What might else you watch? And uh, Rob Cohen, the the director, um, has a couple of of things coming out 
Um, he was going to be involved in the Monster Squad. I think that's been killed. Yeah. The the remake of the Monster Squad. But um, there's a couple of movies. Uh, there's a untitled Sir Isaac Newton project that I think is the <laughs> is the greatest follow up imaginable to the Boy Next Door. Uh, and I would love to see like the story of Sir Isaac Newton handled by the director of the Boy. I mean, he's a good director. I should you know be nice. Um, and uh, Ryan Guzman, you you mentioned we talked about before. Uh, he's on the new Heroes series, yeah. and he's involved in. Uh, he's a major character in Everybody Wants Some. Yeah, the new the Richard, Richard uh, the new Richard Linklater. Yeah, uh, movie coming out. So you said it was a spiritual sequel to Dazed and Confused. I, I mean, I think the trailer and kind of all the publicity for it makes it look like um, kind of like what Dazed and Confused was. You know, like a bunch of people wearing flared jeans. Hanging around um, and chatting, you know. Yeah. And he's also got um, a role in that was supposed to be out right now, just came out. If you listen to this now and you really want to see some more Ryan Gisman on the big screen, uh, January 1st, um, Beyond Paradise, in which he plays another, another angle of a love triangle. Um, and he's the lover of a piano teacher. And he's apparently between her and her student, and the student is the is the main character, uh, played by uh, Daphne Zuniga, who I do I don't oh, know. Oh, Daphne Zuniga was in the Sure Thing. Um, she's not the Sure Thing. She's the other girl <laughs> who J- um, John Cusack ends up with, um, and she was also on a number of seasons of Melrose Place. She was like in from the beginning. And I think her character kind of got killed off oh. halfway through. Oh. And I misspoke. She's actually the teacher. She's the piano teacher. I was going to say, she's probably she's about little, yeah. 50-ish now, so... Yeah. Um, I'm going to guess Francia that she, Reza is the... Is the student. Is the, is the student. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, even uh, Ian Nelson, uh, Kevin, Vanilla Kevin, is um, has a couple of movies coming out, including Freak Show... Uh, oh. he plays a character named Flip Kelly. Um, it's probably not a very important role. I don't think he's had anything like major <laughs> coming out. He's going to hang out in the, in the wings for a little while. Maybe eventually he'll, you know, his career will blossom. And the old man, my favorite character, um, played by, uh, Jack Wallace. Yeah. The uncle is in, um... A movie called Jack and Juliana. It's a short movie. It's not out yet. Nine-minute runtime. The tagline is, be careful who you bang at the old folks' home. <laughs> that's, that's my final thought. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Part. I was going to say, everyone knows uh, Jennifer Lopez has Shades of Blue, which starts, as this episode goes out, starts tomorrow on NBC, uh, Thursdays. It's a, it's, it's a limited thing. It's like 13 episodes. Uh, it's on Thursdays on NBC. I'm guess I think it's following the blacklist, so it might get good ratings. Uh, but that temp and that is a spiritual successor to Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it I, seems it, like the, they're trying to make a connection. The problem, the problem with um, that 10 p.m. Thursday slot is where once it once had the highest rated show on all of television when ER was there. It has now most recently killed every single show, including most recently. Uh, the player, which had uh, Wesley Snipes in. So, What's the lead-in for that? 
Uh, Blacklist, I think, is the lead-in. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, but I don't think the Blacklist has actually... It's never been a good lead-in. So. Mm, I don't think it's that big. So I'd like to thank uh, you two for joining me for this final episode. Thank you very much, Park. You're welcome. And thank you very much, Jody. Oh, you're very welcome, Obviously, mate. it's weird because we've got time differences here, so for me, it's kind of like late in the evening, and for Park, it's early in the evening, and for Jody, it's tomorrow. Um... I just had my breakfast. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, always weird for me to try and think of, of how to schedule um, Australians. Um, Jody said that you're welcome in the most Australian <laughs> way possible. Yeah. Bloody eye. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I'd also like to take this opportunity, as we're in the final episode, to kind of thank everyone who's kind of taken part. And when we started this project, I asked for people, you know, who would want to be a host. Um, the commitment that they gave at the beginning was that they were going to do uh 12 episodes kind of as a minimum that was that was kind of the commitment i asked them for um and you know spencer and josh uh, who also did the artwork which you know is great and uh, michael painter and clint worthington and andrew schwartz they all at the very start said yes we will be the hosts and knowing that i had those guys you know available to do 12 episodes each straight away it made this project a lot easier because then i was like at the very least, I'm not going to have to be a person talking about this film for 91 episodes. Uh, you know, at least there's <laughs> going to be other people who are going to t- willing to talk about it. Uh, so I really want to thank those guys, uh, you know, for kind of for, for stepping in and for being hosts. And then, you know, I'd like to thank everyone who uh, has been a guest. Um, you know, in total, um, if I'm including Jody in this list, because. He's also been a guest and a host, like Parker's been a guest and a host. Um, but if I include you two guys in this list, it's 35 people um, who have Ooh. contributed. Uh, you know, if we include the hosts, that takes it up to 41, and I make the 42nd. So we've had kind of 42 people taking part in this crazy project. Ah, the um, answer. And I, I think, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think that, that you know, everyone who's taken part has been has been a great guest. I, I, you know, I think they've all brought something interesting and their kind of enthusiasm. Um, you know, so I want to thank Nick Healy and Jonathan Frederick, Matt Teff, Eric Harzer, Jordan Sam, Martin Sand, Natalie Walker, Lan, uh, Gina Radcliffe, Shannon Camp, and Tim Fargus. I, you know, um, a lot of those guys, they covered kind of like the early minutes where, you know, the, there is a lot of setup. There's a lot of stuff to get through um, and kind of, I think kind of being on those early minutes, because obviously, Park, you were on minutes one to four. Yep. Um, and here you are on the final minute um, and the final two minutes, actually, because I am the Alpha and the Omega. Yeah. And I, I think kind of like being willing to kind of jump in at the beginning and just kind of set the tone of what this project was going to be about, which was talking about a really stupid J-Lo film for, <laughs> for six months. Uh, you know, I kind of admire... Um, you know, people willing to kind of get in and, and, and at the beginning and kind of do that. So I want to thank those people. Cool. Um, I'm going to thank Zach Powers, the dude with the best name on the <laughs> internet and podcasting. Dre Holland, New Zealand represent. Joel Torres, Keith Harrison, John Muggleton, John Cook, Jim Donahue, Sammy C, Caroline Fulford, 
uh, Megan Sunday and Corin McLean, who I did an episode with and who are both members of the squad. Squad represent. And I mean, I'd also like to thank Corin for kind of stepping in <coughs> um, the kind of four final episodes. Uh, she came in and was a host with uh, with Megan and with Gina, as I guess. And I think, um, you know, this film gets super crazy towards the end. Uh, and I really wanted to kind of I mean, we'd had a lot of hosts who had kind of covered minutes over and over. And I think for the last four minutes, I kind of wanted to bring some people back, um, you know, and just have them kind of talk about it from a different perspective, particularly we've had a lot of dudes on this podcast. And I think it was nice to kind of have, you know, some all-women podcasts for those final kind of few episodes. Uh, so, you know, thanks to them for taking part. And I would add Dan Costa, John Ryan, who promised he would watch Porn Dogs with me. Jim Harper, Jesse Cooper, Michael Harmeyer, Antu, Daniel Ifland, who were great in our minutes, Andrew Helm, Michael Davies, Patrick Hamilton, and Kwame Phillips. Yeah, and... You know, in particular, I want to thank Andrew for being a very good sport and kind of in the previous project, obviously, A Talking Cast. Uh, he was the one who wrote A Talking Cat. So in some ways, he's to blame. Um, but <laughs> I, I, you know, he, he gave a great interview at the end of that project. And I think his contributions particular to the episodes that he was on, um, you know, I think it, it, it was really nice to have someone who actually, you know, works inside the industry uh, kind of. I found those fascinating. Yeah, I think he like kind of he brought like a completely different perspective. Obviously, we're all kind of like amateurs, um, and, and I think you know having someone who actually does the job of of writing films and getting them upon the screen, um, and obviously most recently, uh, Park, you also watched another Andrew Helm. I was going to uh, say Andrew Helm film. has hurt me. A few times now, because after just just show on this dummy where Andrew Helm my head you uh, after after enjoying, um, and I did I did enjoy a talking cat. I have uh, now done um, special episodes for um, for a talking cast. Uh, first, the Halloween not a puppy, and then the <laughs> Christmas also not a puppy. I don't. I'm not sure that Andrew actually wrote the Halloween one, but I know he wrote oh, the no. Christmas one. Let's credit him. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say that was him. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's according to Hoyle crediting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is it credit or blame? Are we? Which word are we using? I mean, you know, I, I, I think uh, I think Andrew's been a great sport, taking particularly taking part, and obviously he has, he has. You know, we 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 spent a long we spent like a long nine months taking apart a talking cat, uh, and I think he was he was you know very gracious about it, and he's he's a good guy. Um, and that was that was him. He did do um, he did do a talking uh, the, the the Halloween puppy. He did that as well. A yes, talking puppy. Yes. He's, he's a prolific fellow. Um, so you know. I, I I feel like uh, you know this this project has been an interesting one. Uh, I know that Clint in his um, his credit episode the other day uh, he was saying that you know he, he was kind of uh, interested in the fact that this was a different direction to go. Um, you know, like when we think about kind of a bad movie podcasts, they tend to stick to stuff. I mean, this got ten percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's clearly not a highly regarded film. Um, but they tend to stick to stuff that is essentially shoddily made or kind of badly produced or poorly acted or, you know, stuff that kind of reaches a certain kind of incompetence. 
Uh, whereas mm. I would not say at any point that, um, you know, The Boy Next Door is incompetent. Um, it is a well-shot movie. It has professional actors in and it is well-scouted. And, you know, the cinematography in particular in some scenes is very kind of like purposely, um, you know, when you have kind of, I mean, you know, the, the orange and teal effect is a, is a, is a well-worn one by now, but they apply it quite well in this. Um, so I, mm. I, I don't think I would ever say that The Boy Next Door is an incompetent film. Um, maybe it just needed kind of uh, one more try uh, on I certain things to get, get it nothing. a bit closer. It needed nothing. It was perfect. But if there were, <laughs> if there were, if there were bugs, they were probably really more in the writing or in just the combination of a couple of different tones. As yeah. opposed to, as you were saying, is it like the the direction, the the blocking of shots, the 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 cinematography was all well done. Yeah, and I I think that you know that's true of um, particularly breaking it down like four minute chunks. Um, you know, I, I think this is something that like a lot of the hosts have kind of noticed is that you know there are camera moves and there is stuff in this film that that it shows that it's made by people who know what they're doing. Yeah, it's it's just kind of. <laughs> it's not like a like a like Manos, you know, where you, yeah, or or uh, or Birdemic, where you're just watching someone who has no idea, like they've just figured out which how to like which direction to point the camera. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and like so, sound is dropping out, and you know all sorts of weird shit. So I think you know from that point of view, the boy next door is a fun watch, though Jody may disagree, <laughs> and. And I think taking it apart minute by minute over these last kind of six months has been a, a fun experience. So, you know, I, I think it's been a joy. Yeah, I think more than more than I anything, uh, you know, that has been the thing that I have enjoyed. And I certainly having edited a number of episodes and I also want to uh, you know, thank Josh because he stepped in and he actually gave me some time off during this thing and edited the episodes that he was a host on. Um, so, you know, that was, that was something I didn't have last time around where I edited every episode. Um, but editing the episodes, the nice thing has always been not just hearing what people think about each particular minute, um, but also the kind of the stuff that happens before people start recording and the stuff that happens <laughs> after they finish where people have little conversations and you're hearing people who kind of, in a lot of cases have never spoken to each other before, uh, coming together to kind of talk about this film and I think that is, you know, in certainly in the last project and in this project, that is the thing that I've enjoyed the most is is knowing that we've had people mm. uh, from all over the place uh, kind of getting together via the Internet to talk about uh, a film. And I, I think that's that's kind of the, the kind of the funnest aspect of, for me, certainly, is hearing all the different voices. I mean, like, I only know you guys from, like, typing words on Facebook, but... When I get to meet you guys, it's awesome. Yeah, I I say I've, for however however many tens of people out there who are listening who are not involved in the production of this, that uh, one of the most fun parts of this of this project has been getting, even if it's over Skype, face to face meetings with uh, with people who I've only read their words before. That's been really fun to do. So I mean, with Second. with that, I think we're going to say goodbye. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, maybe once I've had a rest from doing podcasts for the next couple of months, uh, we, we may do this again with something else. So, 
thank you very much for listening. So thanks very much for joining me, and goodbye. Goodbye. Catch us bloody next time. Thanks for listening to a Talking Cast presents The Cast Next Door. I was your host, Darren Husted, with my guests, Park Parkinson and Jody Doyle. Like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter at First Ed Iliad. Or download new episodes from thecastnextdoor.wordpress.com. Or subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Artwork by Josh, the Man Man, Hollis. Edited by Darren, Tomb Raider, who's dead. Produced by Darren, Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life, who's dead. The Boy Next Door is owned by Bloomhouse, Smart Entertainment, New Eurekan, and Universal Studios. No infringement is intended. Copyright 2016. All rights reserved. This is the first edition?